love baby dedications. I get sentimental, um, especially these two families. It's fun to watch them. Um, you know, Olivia was a long journey praying for her to be adopted by the Hawks. So today I'm feeling especially grateful just to see such a long journey of prayer, answered prayer. That is an answered prayer that we've been praying for as a church. And Mabel, again, um, went through a little thing of RSV not too long ago, and you all rallied to pray for her too. So it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of a body of believers and a family. We really become a family. So uh, great morning having those babies dedicated to the Lord. Well, we are continuing our series that we have been in for the last few weeks. Uh, for the four weeks leading up to Easter, Jeff and I just wanted to take some time and really look at what the Easter story is all about, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, um, looking at the scriptures that talk about what does it mean to be saved? What does that even mean? We say that word, or you might hear that word, saved from what, and how does that even work? And so we've been talking about uh, what it means to be saved. And Jeff has done a great, such a great job the last couple weeks. The first week, he talked about that everything is broken. And if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen online, I encourage you to do so. I did this week. Uh, listen to that. I was home with a sick kid. But um, he was talking about the fact that everything is broken. Everything in our world is broken. We all kind of feel that, that nothing is quite working right and everything is broken. And that is because sin has entered the world. If you read the very first chapters in the Bible, it talks about Adam and Eve and everything was perfect. The world was perfect. Relationships were perfect. And then there was a moment where Eve took a bite of that apple and sin entered the world. And from that moment on, everything has been broken. Relationships have been broken. Bodies have been broken. The ground and the earth has even been broken. And so his first week, he talked about everything is broken. And you and I feel that. We talked about Romans 3.23, that all have sinned. We are born as sinful people because of that fall of man that we find. And then last week, he talked about the fact that everything is broken, but we can't fix it. And a lot of us are trying to put band-aids on things. We're trying to kind of make it a little bit better or trying to just get through it. But the problem is that we have a sin problem, and we can't fix it on our own. We need Jesus to come and fix our sin problem. We need him to save us, and that's where we get that word from. And he talked about the scales of justice, and I've been thinking about that all week. You can put that picture up there, Charlie. He talked about the scales of justice. And for a lot of us, we think, okay, well, there's the two sides, and, and I'm going to put all my good stuff on one side and all my bad stuff on one side, and, and whichever one weighs the most, well, then that's, that might determine whether or not I am saved or whether or not I go to heaven. And Jeff did such a great job of showing us that the very best person on their very best day could never fix the, that inequity that comes from our sin and the holiness of God. There's nothing that we could ever do. The very best thing on our best day is not enough to satisfy that gap between us and God. And so what Jesus did is he came and he stood on that scale with us. And he died for us. He took his sin upon himself. And when he did that, all of a sudden, that inequity is gone. We talked about in Isaiah, God placed on him the iniquity of us all. That's where we get that word. And all of a sudden, we are now, it can be in right standing with God because Jesus stands on that scale with us. And because what he did for us, we can have forgiveness of sin. I've been thinking about that all week, of that scale, and how so often we're trying to earn our way and do all these things, and yet Jesus came and stood before us. It actually reminded me of a story that I had heard a few years ago about the band U2. 
I know, a U2 reference here, right, in church. Um, but I was, I'd heard this story about um, late in the 80s, um, the band was touring, and they had gotten a death threat. So someone, a white supremacist group, had sent them letters and let them know that they were doing this tour, and if at this particular concert, on this particular date, if they sang the song, In the Name of Love, that they were going to shoot the lead singer, Bono. And the FBI had gotten involved, and it was a credible threat, and they found out that this group was very organized, and they were trying their best to secure the location, but they basically told them, you know what? It's up to you whether or not you want to do this. This is a credible threat. These people are serious. And so they had to decide whether or not that he was going to go on stage and sing this song. And so uh, he, I heard this in an interview, and he said, so we decided, you know what? We're just going to do it. We're just not going to be held ca captive by these people. We're going to do it. And so he said the night of that concert came, and he's standing up there, and he's looking out at the sea of people, and it started the introduction to this song. Can you imagine that feeling of like, this could be it. Like, what in the world? And looking out, not knowing if there were people out there with guns or anything, he said he just, all of a sudden he just got terrified and he decided, I'm just going to shut my eyes really tight. And that way, if something happens, I'm just not going to see it coming. And so Bono said, I closed my eyes as tight as I could and I was singing the song with everything that I had. He said, and all of a sudden I opened my eyes and my best friend, the bass player in this group, Adam Powell, had walked and was standing right in front of me with his bass. And he did just walked right in front of me and stood and thought, you know what? If a bullet's coming, it's got to go through me first. Oh my gosh, is that not the best story in the world? Like, I know, right? That's the best rock star story. But there's something about that story that I just kept thinking about it this week. Because when we talk about standing on that scale and trying, there's nothing we can do to be saved. And the idea that Jesus just walked right up in front and said, I know I know that everything is broken, but guess what? I am going to come. I'm going to stand in front of you. I am taking your place. That is what Jesus did for us. And there is something really amazing and profound about that, about a God who was perfect, had never done anything wrong, saying, because of all you've done wrong, all your sin, because of your brokenness, it's okay. I'm going to take your place. That's a really, really beautiful story. It reminds me of this verse in Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8, which says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That verse is saying, yes, we can kind of wrap our heads around dying for a good person or somebody that really deserves it. But while we were still sinners, while we were still the worst, while we were still so far away, that is the moment that Jesus said, I'm going to die for you. That is a beautiful thing. We didn't deserve it. We were helpless to do anything about it. But God did not leave us in our helpless state. He stepped in front of us. He took on our sin. He took on our blame. And he saved us. So why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just let us get what we deserve, right? Because sometimes we're like, man, we really deserve a lot more than that. Why would he do that? Why would he not just let us have what we deserved? Why would he lay down his own life 
so that we could have a full, abundant life? There is only one answer to that question, and is what we're going to talk about today. Jesus died for you because he loves you. It's very simple. There's no other reason that he did that. Jesus died for you because he loves you. Now, the most famous scripture in all of the Bible that everybody knows is John 3.16, right? And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And sometimes we go by that so fast that we miss that first part. We look at God, Jesus came, he died so that no one would perish, everyone could be saved. But why? We find the answer to that in the first five, six words in that verse. It says, for God so loved the world that he did all of those things. That was the whole reason that he put this plan in place. It was out of love for you and for me. God loved us so much that that separation that happened because he was a perfect, holy God and we were sinful people, he was not okay with that. He wanted a way for us to be in close relationship, for us to have access to each other, for him to be able to speak to us, for us to be close. That separation broke his heart, and so he made a way for it to be gone. He sent his son to restore that relationship with us. So the theological question could have been asked, if God wanted a relationship with us so badly, why didn't he just stop sin from entering the world? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why didn't he, why make the tree with the bad apple? Like, why even have it there? Why not, you know, if God is all powerful, why wouldn't you just kind of stop it all the way down there and not even let sin come into the world? Well, the question, answer to that question is free will. God put that tree there because he wanted us to choose him, right? God gave us the right to choose or deny him. Now, he desperately wants a relationship with us, but he has given us the choice to choose him or not. Why did he do that? Well, love that is demanded isn't really love, is it? Love that's demanded from someone isn't really love. Now, if my parents had arranged a marriage for me, when I was a young woman, and said, we have picked out this person, you're going to love him. Now, I was a nice girl, but I probably would have been like, well, good luck with that. You can make me marry him. You can't make me love him, right? You might tell me I have to do that, but nobody can make me love somebody. And maybe that's just because I'm a sassy girl. But love that is demanded is not really love, right? And think about this. If I'm obligated to be there, would my husband really ever know if I loved him or not? Would he, would he feel like, oh, she loves me? Or like, well, she didn't really have a choice. So here she, would he ever really know if I actually loved him or not? Real love is given freely. And so Jesus gives us the choice. He desperately wants a relationship with us, but he does not force it on anybody. We have the choice to choose God or we have the choice to reject God. And that is how much he loves us. He loves us enough to say, I'm going to let you choose what you want. But God reached out to us first. That doesn't mean that he just stands back going, well, okay, I sure hope you pick me. Please pick me. Give me the rose, <laughs> you know, the bachelor. No, he pursues us. He comes after us. He says, you know what? I love you. I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to pursue you. The Bible says he draws us in loving kindness. He reveals himself to us. He desperately wants that relationship with us. Even though we have the choice to choose or reject him, he continually pursues us us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Many of us have a really hard time grasping that kind of love. We have a hard time grasping a love that was given before we did anything to deserve it. And it can go one of two ways. Maybe you're a person who thinks, God could never love me because of all of the bad things I've done, because of my past, because of all of the things, all the ways that I mess up every day. Maybe you have that kind of idea of, God could never really love me. Why would he really do that for me? I'm not a good person. I've made too many mistakes. And we can start to think, how could a God ever love me because of all of the wrong that I've done? But equally, we can have some of us think, of course God loves me. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I've done a lot of the right things. I try and do, you know, what he wants for me. I work hard. I earn it in the back of mind. We can kind of think, well, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. So, you know, I kind of think God loves me. And deep down, we can start to think that we have actually earned that sacrifice. We can start to believe that we've done enough good things that maybe, you know, maybe early on it wasn't great. But, hey, as I've gone along, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I think maybe I have earned a little bit of this. The problem with both of those lines of thinking is that they're both based on our actions. They're both based on what we do, on our failures, on our successes. We put together this system in our minds that when we do good things for God, that somehow we're getting more points. And if we do bad things, we're somehow losing points. And we have this mental scorecard that we start to do in our heads. And we, we're kind of figuring out, well, I'm, I think I'm doing okay here. I'm way better than that person, that's for sure. So they're probably over here, and I think I'm over here. And all of a sudden, we start keeping score. And we're riding this wave of whether or not we're good. And I think a lot of people feel this uncertainty in their walk with God because they're keeping score. And they're wondering, have I done enough of the good? In order to get in, have I done enough of the bad? I remember um, being younger and hearing like a message on like, you could leave this place today and get hit by a car. And would you go to heaven? And thinking like, oh, I hope so. What if I said a bad word right when they hit my car? Then does it not count anymore? I mean, like, what happens then? Like, is that like now I'm sinful again and I don't get to go in? Like, that would really stink if like the last second you just did something Oh, and it was so much confusion and uncertainty. But that's all based on what we're doing or what we're not doing. It's not based on the grace of Jesus Christ that we accept and receive. Many of us, sometimes we kind of like this keeping score philosophy, right? We feel a little more in control. We feel like, I can kind of wrap my head around that. Um, sometimes we want the credit for being good people. We think, well... Surely that guy and me are not on the same footing. I mean, come on. Sometimes we want a little bit of that credit of, of earning it. And sometimes we don't want other people to get away with what they're doing. But the truth is, none of us, let me say it again, none of us deserve the sacrifice that Jesus gave. The very best person in the room, the very best person in the world, and the very worst person in the room, we won't phone in anybody, and the very worst person in the world are on equal footing. We are all sinners. We all need the grace of Jesus, and we are all offered it equally, and there is nothing we can do to earn it, and there's nothing we can do to lose it. He loves us all the same. When uh, Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, 
This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. We don't get to say, well, I've done a lot of really good things. I think I may be higher up. Nobody gets to say that. It is the gift of God freely given to all of us because of his great love. When we finally understand that Jesus stepped in front of our sin, not because we deserved it, not because we were a good person, not because we somehow had earned it, but simply because he loved us and wanted to take on that penalty for us, suddenly everything changes. You can be free from the guilt of your past. It doesn't have to hang over you. It doesn't have to grip you anymore. You can be free. But in the same way, can I tell you today that you can also be free from the scorecard system of feeling like maybe I've done enough to earn more. Maybe I need to do a little more. This has actually been a really personal journey for me and a lesson that I have had to learn. Now, I became a Christian when I was five years old. I remember the day. I can tell you where I was. It was the church in Des Moines, Iowa, where my dad was pastoring. I was sitting in the balcony on a Sunday night. The preacher yelled a lot. He had a red face. Right, Mom? Yes, he did. Lots of yelling. But I remember thinking, I'm in. Like this, yes. And I remember, and I remember going home, and I remember telling my parents. And for me, that has been the rest of my life. There hasn't been a time that I haven't served Jesus. It was just a decision I made when I was really young, and I have loved Jesus my whole life. I remember that well. I received that gift of salvation. But somewhere along the way in the last 30-some years since that day, I had started to fall away from the grace of that moment And I began to believe that God's love for me was somehow based on my behavior. Somewhere from that moment of receiving grace, and as I became an adult, and I became a pastor, and I became a pastor's wife, and I started working, somewhere along the line, something kind of got a little twisted in me. And I began to convince myself that the more I did for God, the more he would love me. And instead of serving him out of the depths of love and appreciation for our relationship and gratefulness for what he had done for me, I was really trying to earn his love by doing more and being better. And I got to a point probably eight or nine years ago where I was so tired. I was so tired. I was disillusioned. I was disheartened. I felt like I was on this giant hamster wheel of trying to do more, sin less, be better, and I was trying so hard, and I was working my fingers to the bone, and I was volunteering for everything, and I was doing everything I possibly could, and I was working, and I was working, and I was working, and I felt further and further and further and further away from God, and then I started to feel resentful because I kept thinking, I'm feeling this ache in my heart grow deeper. Like, God, where are you? I'm working so hard for you. Why do you feel so far away? And I, so I would work harder and work harder and try and think, well, maybe, he's, maybe he just wants me to work harder and do more for him and sin less and be a better person and volunteer more and help more and do more. And I was just in this constant cycle of this. Now, my efforts weren't producing any greater revelation of God's love for me, and they were just wearing me out. I was exhausted. Paul warns us about this in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, and I love how the message version puts this. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Listen to this. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, 
you are cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. And it was true. I had fallen out of the grace of, I don't have to earn his love. I had fallen into this cycle of trying to earn it, trying to be good enough to deserve it, trying to somehow make myself sinless and be better and not think that and not do that. And I was trying so hard. And yet I had fallen out of grace. And the reason I felt so disconnected was because that, that thing inside of you that knows that someone st- took a bullet for you, That's the thing that makes you love them. And what can I do for you? And how can I serve you? That peace was gone because I had fallen out of grace and I had fallen away, been cut off from Christ. Now, I had received salvation based on grace, knowing that I couldn't earn it, but I began to live my Christian life with a list of shoulds and ought tos and shoulds and ought tos and do more and do more. And I, I had been trying to earn it. So imagine me on that scale of justice that we talk about, the busiest little bee you've ever seen, just running in a circle, just, you know, trying to, Jesus standing there like, I took, I did it, it's good, I'm good, I took your penalty, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm sure you just need me to, like, I just want to make sure you know, like, that I got this under control, and I'm running, 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 and I have a visual mind, I can see Jesus being like, could you just stop? It looks like a little like my husband going, could you just stop? <laughs> That's, I think they have similar, maybe, looks. But I was just running in circles, trying to convince myself that I was worthy to stand there. And the truth is, I was not. And no amount of running was going to make me any more worthy to stand there. And worse than that, all of my running, it gave me this false sense of deserving to be there. That's the worst part of it. Because the more you run and the more you think you're really good and the more you think you're doing the most, you start to have this sense of, I kind of do deserve it a little bit. I'm a good girl. I'm, I'm doing pretty good on my own. The truth is, though, I was exhausted. And because I thought I was a pretty good participant in earning my spot, I was not experiencing the love that comes that you, from knowing you are getting something you do not deserve. And I was missing it. So one night after a church service, I remember just feeling so numb, so tired, so disillusioned, so just broken. And I remember there was a mentor of mine sitting there, and I plopped down next to her in a pew. And I was so tired, and I just said, I just, and the words I said were, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. I don't know what more God wants me to do. I don't know that I could fit one more thing in. I can't do anything more. And I realized the depths of my disappointment in myself for feeling like I was not able to be good enough to reach the standard that I thought I should be. And I realized the frustration I had towards God because I felt like he was the one withholding his love until I could somehow reach that level. And my friend started to ask me some questions. She said, now, Christy, who would you be if you weren't a pastor's wife? And I was like, I don't know. Who would you be if you weren't a teacher or a singer or a mother? Who would you be without those things? And I I didn't really have an answer. And then she asked me this question. What if you never did one more thing for God? Would he still love you? Now, usually I'm pretty good at saying the right answer, but I couldn't. Because I didn't know if that was really okay. If I never did another thing for him, I don't know. Would he... Would he be okay with that? Would he be disappointed in me? I don't know. And my friend leaned in close, and she whispered to me, Christy, you don't have to do anything else to make him love you. 
You don't have to be anything else to make him love you. He wants you to be his daughter, and that's it. And I remember sitting there going, if that's true, that is good news. If that's really true, I know, I know. I was a pastor's wife for 20 years, and I'm going, huh, if that's true, that's good news. And I'm here to tell you today that is true, because that was the night I stepped off the wheel. And I just went, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I've got to stop trying to be perfect and trying to earn what has been freely given to me. That is why he said, it is by grace you've been saved. It's not of your own works, so that nobody can take any pride in it. We're all on the same level right over here with Jesus standing in front of us. You can't earn it by doing more, and you can't earn it by being better. Romans 8.15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. God is looking for sons and daughters, not slaves. That is what he is looking for. And I had been living my life years and years as a slave. My relationship had, with God had turned into duty and obligation. And deep down, I was tired, I was resentful, I was weary, and I had forgotten that I was his daughter. Now imagine if in our house, let's say Lucy, if, if she was under the impression that we only wanted her there for all the things she could do for us right? If we were like, Lucy, how many loads of laundry did you do today? Hey, Lucy, how clean is your room? That would be a deal breaker. Hey, Lucy, <laughs> Lucy, how clean is your car? That would be an even deal break, even bigger deal breaker. Lucy, how many times have you watched your brothers and sisters? Lucy, come on. How long would she enjoy living in our home? How long would she enjoy our relationship? How long would she think this is really great if she felt like all we wanted from her is what she would do? It's silly. Of course, that's not... Jeff's relationship with Lucy has nothing to do with what she gives him. He doesn't love her based on what she does or doesn't do. He loves her because she is his daughter. And in the same way, God doesn't love us because of what we do and what we don't do. He loves us because we are his sons and we are his daughters. How silly to think that we would love our children more or less based on how much they do or how much they earned it. Of course not. And yet, we, when we do the scorecard kind of Christianity, that is exactly what we're doing. We're saying, God, I think you must love me only when I do these things. And it is not his heart for us. And what does this kind of understanding of God do to our relationship with him? It turns us into slaves. Our relationship becomes not about affection and devotion, but about fear and uncertainty. We might start out in grace, but if you give it enough time on the scorecard system, I promise you, you're going to get tired and you are not going to care at all about doing that anymore. It's too hard. What God desires is for us to be his sons and daughters, that we would just learn to receive what he gave. It's a love that cannot be earned and it's a love that cannot be lost. He did what he did on the cross before you ever did anything to earn it. And he did it for one reason alone, because he loved you. God cannot love you more than he does right now. He cannot love you more than he does right now. On your best day, he loves you the same. On the worst day, he loves you the same. 
And what if you and I began to live our lives from that place? If we could really get our heads around that, that we could never deserve it. We don't have to earn it. We just have to love him. And out of that relationship, a whole lot of stuff changes. But it's out of love. It's out of relationship. It's out of loving him so much and receiving the love he has for us. I think that that is a game changer if we can get that deep down in our hearts. I know we're running a little late. I'm going to ask Jeff to come up. I asked him to sing a song as we close today. It's one of my favorite songs in the whole world. And it is about the love of Christ that he has for us that we could never earn, that we could never deserve, but is so freely given. And as he sings it, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to listen and I want you to take stock of your heart. Because maybe you've never accepted the gift of God's love. Maybe for you this is all brand new and you're going, you know what, I, I want that kind of love. I want to receive that grace. And if that's you today, I hope you would open up your heart and let God come into that place. But I think maybe there are a lot of people in this room who are a little like me. Maybe you started out in grace a long time ago. Maybe Jesus, you accepted him into your heart when you were younger or not too long ago, and yet you have let your relationship with him become about duty and obligation. And you're wondering why it feels so dry and why you feel so tired and you feel like it's just another thing on my to-do list to do every day. And maybe you're starting to feel resentful, like, I'm working, I'm trying so hard, and I never feel like I can earn it. I never feel like I'm good enough. You've fallen away from grace. And today I want you to just soak in the love that God has for you, a love that doesn't change on your worst day and also doesn't change on your best day. I want to read the scripture and then he's going to sing. Romans 5, 8 from the message says, Christ arrived right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready, but he presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him.